Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I, I'm, too. I'm sorry. Can I can I start over? Yeah, let's try again. No, no, no. Hello, James, certified yoga instructor. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> yes, I passed all the exams. It's funny. You always think every time you do an exam, you get to the end of grad. Well, I don't know. You get to the end of undergrad, you think, "Oh my god, no more exams. This is amazing." Then at the end of grad school, "Oh my god, no more exams. This is amazing." You go off and become a yoga instructor, and they slam you with exams, and it's nerve wracking because you put in your head you're never going to have to do them again, but surprisingly enough i managed to pass them all and i taught my first yoga class which was very exciting too so yeah. you taught it there or you or since you've come back no taught it there i think um i don't think until i get into a more regular routine i'm going to be teaching any yoga classes because people don't just want one-off things they want to do it on a weekly basis but i have no schedule and i still might be traveling a bit so uh that's not happened yet but i taught it there which was fun well, yeah, we're gonna, you're, you're putting off employment as long as possible, which which I, I, I can appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite enjoying it. The Australian in me is very much enjoying this. People, I tell <laughs> are people... Australians, are Australians known for not working? Or oh, what? absolutely. Like, it's very much, uh, uh, what is it? Live to work, work to live. I always get it confused. We are We are work to live as opposed to live to work. Very good. Well, you are working now because we are sponsored by Mailchimp, uh, as we are as as we are every week. Mailchimp, you can personalize your marketing and sell more stuff. When you connect your store to Mailchimp, they will analyze the purchase history of each customer, and make smart data driven predictions about what they'll want to buy in the future. It's enterprise level technology made simple for everyone. Just drag and drop. Sending personalized product recommendations to your customers increases sales in just a few clicks. MailChimp detects purchasing patterns in your e-commerce data and uses them to automatically predict your customers' buying behavior so you can target the right people with the right products. And you can learn more about each customer's individual purchase history and recommend items by viewing their subscriber profile. So one of the many uh, features of MailChimp and our thanks to them for sponsoring Exponent. And as I've noted many times, I am a happy customer, so I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor. Yes. Thank you, guys. That's awesome. It, th- that ad was also a perfect segue into uh, this week's topic, personalized p- purchase recommendations. <laughs> I, f- I feel like you, you're going to pull out your checkbook and suggest someone buys Netflix this week. Is, uh, am I right? So this has actually been a very fraught and stressful week for me. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, it's, oh, naturally, this article got quite a bit of traffic, but believe it or not i promise you and one of the benef- uh, you know as benefit of my business model i don't i don't depend on advertisements i'm not trying to generate traffic right yeah i'm not tr- trying to write click by here in fact on monday night after i wrote this uh I-, I actually had trouble sleeping because i was so this suggestion this mm. article is so out of character for me mm. personally and i hope to some extent that means like it's taken a little more seriously like i'm not so like you kind of saw on twitter the, the usual suspects going oh of course they should so obvious and like crap i always disagree with you and now now we're, we're on the same side and now i feel very uncomfortable i am i am instinctually anti-big acquisition mm-hmm. particularly in the case of apple i i mean like it's not acquisitions in general don't work. The synergies rarely materialize. They end up being a huge distraction. They're often just empire building. Like there's a whole list of stuff that that we can get into. And I'm sure you will nail me on all of them and 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 you should be right to do so. And but particularly with Apple, and we've talked about and I've written about the, the sort of culture they have and sort of unitary organizational structure, like plugging in 
not just a big purchase, but one that's very orthogonal to their core business is, is generally speaking, as a rule, a terrible idea. You're doing such a good job of like <laughs> of backing away from it that I, I feel like I, no, 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 if we keep going, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to make the the bull case for it at this rate. <laughs> right. I well, I'm not backing away. I, my point to articulate that, and I tried to articulate in the article, and I kind of did it again in the follow up and day left the next day, is that like I'm not like just throwing this out there. Like, yeah, no, I, I know. It's it, just it's funny because I obviously Apple has very deep pockets. And everyone sees those deep pockets and people start uh, the, the, the wet dreams about corporate acquisition start. They should, uh, they should start buying this. They should start buying that. And you're right. You are much more measured in, in such talk. And I've seen you disagree and I've, we've talked about it. I've heard you disagree. Well, with- I, I've written, I mean, I wrote an article in 2014 when there was a big thing then about Apple buying this, buying that, buying whatever. Mm. There's a, there's a, for some, like, this comes in waves, right? Yeah. And I wrote an article called Best. That is just called Best. And my the entire thing was about why Apple buying companies, large companies, is especially a bad idea, even worse than other companies. And really drilling into this like what this idea that Apple's success derives from its focus, derives from trying to build the best possible products. Mm. And and how easy it is to lose that. Like, and once you lose that, it's kind of gone. And and then you're just kind of a a boring traditional company and and you lost what made you special. And my point then was I would never want Apple to risk that by trying to swallow a, a big company. I I would concur. I, uh, I must confess, I chuckled when I read your daily update follow-up, which, which to your credit provided the counter with the very, the very sensible lead that you shouldn't argue for something like this unless you're able to argue against it. But there was a line in there saying, and just for the record, no, I don't think they should buy Tesla. I was like, okay. <laughs> we should, we should get into that because yeah. it, that, that's, that's, it's a terrible idea. And, and well, actually let's, let's, let's start there. Let's start okay. with why Apple should not buy Tesla, because I think it's an interesting way to get at why I think they should buy, mm, okay. why, why they should buy, buy Netflix. So Apple buying Tesla is a terrible idea. <laughs> um, so there's a few things going on. So one kind of leaving aside Apple, uh, I would not want to buy Tesla no matter what company I was. The the the, the te- I mean, make no mistake, we've both articulated our, you know how Im- impressive it is what Tesla has accomplished mm-hmm. and the brand they've built and the way they made electric cool. Like people in in people don't want electric cars, they want Teslas, mm. right? right? And that's that's something that's really meaningful and important. That said, at the end of the day, electric cars and what Tesla is building is very much a, to use the terminology, a sustaining technology. And the business model and how they actually operate is very much with the way cars have always been done. They make cars and they sell them for a profit, theoretically. <laughs> That's another problem, which we'll get to in a moment. I mean, yes, they, they, they definitely have made some big changes around like not having dealerships and, and they've had to fight states against that and stuff like that. And that's important. That, that's a, mm. It's good. It better aligns the incentives around selling cars and all those sorts of things and it saves a lot of money as well. But at the end of the day, they are making a product and then they are selling it. And to some extent, that's like, oh, that makes it a good fit with Apple. And that's true. But the fact it makes a good fit with Apple means if Apple really wants to get into this space, I think they're much better off just doing it themselves. 
not taking on uh, the first off Tesla's valuation relative to their actual numbers and they're they have a very negative cash flow they uh they really pushed a lot of things to show a quote-unquote profit this last quarter including pulling all their credits forward Mm. doing this huge slam of like getting all their a bunch of cars shipped like they shipped like three thousand cars in september and like 800 cars in october (laughs) like that's usually not how factories are supposed to work, but but like the the fact that it's, it's a you're paying an extreme amount of money for a very traditional business that really their only differentiation is their brand, which is a great differentiation, but it's it's not transformational. Do you know what I think? There's even value in in taking one step further back and just the high level, like answering the question: When does it actually make sense for an acquisition to occur? Because I, I feel like we are we're diving into the specifics, and I think this is a very like these two are very helpful specifics. But there's just this general high level around acquisitions. People say, "Oh, you should buy that. Oh, you should buy that." And and there is this there is this fundamental to acquisitions, which is the the sum of the the two entities together are greater like the value of that is greater than them independently right like right. that is the basis of a good acquisition and people and it's very very rare it is very rare when it's done well it can be insanely powerful but it is the allure of it and the number of times uh folks say this is going to be fantastic like you said like all these synergies uh, whether it's whether it's revenue upside or cost savings, because fundamentally those are the two things that it boiled down to. All these things are going to happen, and they so rarely materialize. It's so hard merging company cultures and so on and so forth. That's the that's the fundamental thing that needs to be evaluated. Like, how are these two entities together going to be more powerful than they are separately? Right, because if you if you look at it just from a you start with the finances, right? When you buy a company, you are you are unless you get some crazy deal, you're going to pay a premium mm. over. So so the a company's valuation, especially a public company, a company's valuation in the stock market is theoretically the the estimation of all their future growth, right? right? Like it, discounted to present yeah. value. Yep. So. If you could pay exactly what it is in the market, that's one that that that's one thing. But you almost always have to pay a premium, so you are from the beginning starting in a hole. You are paying more than the market estimates this company is worth. So you you have to make that up beyond Somehow. not just realizing yeah not just realizing that that profit. And so often when you look at companies in the market, say oh they have all these growth prospects. Those growth prospects are already priced into the price, right? You, you when you and so that entire uh, surplus above the the market valuation that you have to pay for a company that has to be made up with yes, here's our you know business school word one hundred and one synergies, mm. or it has to be made up through cost savings. Mm-hmm. Like those are really the two ways that an acquisition can pay for itself, right? And so the cost savings, if you if you've got the same distribution network duplicated and by bringing the two companies together you can eliminate one of them then those two entities are generating all that same amount of revenue but you've taken out a massive chunk of cost or and this is the one that I tend to get more excited about is like the revenue upside one where bringing the two entities together unlocks 
a whole bunch of additional uh, selling more things to customers, creating things that customers want that they didn't other that 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 otherwise wouldn't be possible because the entities are together. And to before we even dive into the Apple Tesla one, the example that I love to give around this of like a phenomenal acquisition that was managed spectacularly well is when Disney picked off Pixar. So you take all the intellectual property that uh, the the ability to create fantastic IP that Pixar has and you run it through Disney's channels. You can you can put all the stuff in the stores. You can take all the Pixar characters and put them in the theme parks. Like all this stuff that wasn't going to be possible otherwise if they were separate because they could license, but they were kind of at odds with one another. Now, because they're under the same umbrella, all the trust issues disappear, and there's an ability to create value that otherwise would not be possible. You, yeah, you just brought up another really important point, because the vast majority of times when people propose an acquisition, they should actually be proposing a partnership mm. where or, or a licensing deal, mm-hmm. where, where, because then you're not, there's no surplus going on. You're just both acting in your mutual interest, right? Mm. But yeah, the Pixar ones or, or Star Wars or Marvel are all great mm. examples. Why? What's the benefit? Yes, Disney could have licensed them. But for example, are you going to be able to make a license deal that justifies massive capital expenditures right. for a theme park expansion? It's, no, you can't because you, 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 that's like a 30-year investment, right? And right. There, you don't make 30-year licensing deals. The other thing is you can... Uh, Disney can design so many more stuff from the ground up mm-hmm. because of the assumption that all this stuff is together. And right. so if there's a lot of pre-planning and a lot of long-term payoffs from a partnership, there can be significant value in having it all under one roof. Just be from the planning and the long-term perspective that is gained from from having it together. And I, I agree with you. That's a great example of where of where two things could could have partnered and did partner, but were much better uh, together. Yeah, and and also to Bob Iger's credit, so well managed. The temptation is to take all those resources, bring them in house, drop everything that Pixar had, and put it into the into Disneyland. And instead, they kept them very separate and just used the IP to to germinate throughout the Disney world. And so Pixar's ability to keep creating great content wasn't affected. They selectively seeded where it made sense. So it's not just it's not just picking the right companies. It's once you make the acquisition managing it well and both of those things independently are difficult to do but together are so hard to pull both off there is one other benefit which i think you just kind of mentioned indirectly Mm. there is a benefit from gaining like talent and and Mm, certain people so so for example john lasseter from pixar took over disney animation and disney animation since that point has has really turned the corner and has been a like the value of Disney's core asset by the addition of this one guy has increased tremendously like to to a degree that that almost pays for the Pixar acquisition itself mm-hmm. they released Frozen they released uh Zootopia they released like three or four other those are the two probably the biggest ones especially Frozen but they released several like it really transformed what was kind of a morbid you know division some people would say that's hurt pixar in the meantime but it, but the point is it's definitely been a payoff in multiple respects it's a it's a gold standard of an acquisition without question yeah it is which brings us back to apple and tesla <laughs> well so the the problem the problem here is what is apple you know why would apple buy tesla instead of just 
building it themselves? Like, what do they get from Tesla? Well, Tesla are further along, right? And there's a whole bunch of talent. Let me play the pro for this and you can tell me all the reasons why I'm wrong. But like they're further along, they've built out all this, they've built out the battery infrastructure and they've built out the charging infrastructure. And those things take time and a lot of effort to do. Absolutely. But to what to what end? Like my big concern about the Apple Car project as a whole, and I think a concern that Apple shared, which is why they've kind of reset the project, is that are we sure? Mm-hmm. Like there, the the future of transportation has three components: it has electrification, it has self driving, and it has transportation as a service. And those may be interconnected; they may not. But the that that last one, transportation as a service. To shift the business model of a company is more difficult than electrifying a car. It's more difficult, arguably, than, than a self-driving car. It, but the point is they're all independent. And does Apple want to pay a huge premium that, by definition, is going to be realized over many years for what may be an obsolete business model? It's a perfect articulation of the problem. Apple is fundamentally, yeah, they've they've had forays with IBM and whatever, but like they're fundamentally a consumer company. Right now, Tesla is. But if the world shifts to a transportation as a service model, you are selling not to consumers anymore. You are going to be selling to businesses that are buying these vehicles as massive fleets that they deploy so that people can call them up on their smartphones. And that's a very different business to a consumer-led one. Exactly. And then, so that's number one. I'm not sure about the long term value. Two, the price Apple would have to pay relative to building it themselves. Yes, they, they, there's, a, there's a head start component, but I mean, the most valuable part of Tesla is the brand. I mean, I mean Apple's not a car brand per se, but it's also the most valuable part of Apple itself, right? You're paying for something that you already have. And if you have a reasonable feeling that you can catch up on the other aspects, that's a heap, massive premium for for questionable questionable gain. And then number three, I would say, is because it's a similar business to Apple in that you're selling a product to consumers, it kind of by definition would need to be integrated into Apple and the distraction cost oh and the the internal cost of all this of mixing these two companies would be very problematic not to mention the fact that i don't think elon musk would handle having a ceo very very well yeah i I would tend to agree with that i mean it boils down to like what we were talking about earlier like how are these two things better together than they are apart like i i don't see it it's 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 not like you i can't imagine what would happen to the Apple stores if they had to put Teslas in, like vehicles, cars inside of them. But I mean, uh, this thinking is actually instructive as just like you said, as to why Apple might've pulled the plug on the car project in the first instance, because along with that transportation as a service, I don't think cars plug very neatly into this, uh, in, into the type of products that the company has sold uh, up until this point. Right, exactly. So yeah, so it's too expensive. There'd be massive integration problems, and it's, yeah, it's not clear what benefit comes from being together. Like, right? it, it, you, that's the brand thing in the opposite. Apple, like Tesla, already has a great brand. What do they need from Apple? The one thing they need is cash. But like, and we will get into the cash thing because that's an important part of the Netflix story as well. But cash for cash's sake isn't. It, it, that's not a good enough reason. You're uh, you're undifferentiated money. Like you're just a checkbook. Like you, 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 a, any big company, not quite, but like the idea being, any big company can write a check. What you want to do is write a check and get an asset 
or a business that when it becomes your business, you can do something with it that nobody else can. And if right, right. if if really all you're doing is just writing the, the check, you're just dumb money. You're just like competing with the stock market, except you're going to be paying a premium for it, which makes absolutely zero sense. <laughs> right, exactly. You just buy stock on the open market if that's right. what you want to do. Yep. All right, so why is Netflix different? Because the, there are some of these... There are some of these that, 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 that fit here. So from a traditional acquisition analysis perspective, first off, the, the cash matters for Netflix too. Mm-hmm. And the, but the reason is, is I am more bullish about Netflix long-term because, again, Tesla it has transformational technology, at least you know, as far as we know, we're getting the benefit out there. But they don't have a transformational business model, and the idea that their their technology is sustaining is traditionally a that's that's great for the first few years, but you tend to have trouble competing in the long run. Whereas Netflix is much more disruptive to their industry because they have a transformational business model that's predicated on this idea of of streaming as opposed to linear TV. Yeah, no argument from me on that point. I think that makes total sense. And so that like that's a really big deal. So if you're buying in to a a relatively expensive company, I want to be buying something that's transformational. And and that so that's number 1. So before you go any further though, do you I I I agree with that sentiment entirely. But isn't the trick to buy something transformational before everybody realizes it's transformational? Like, I, I guess what I would put to you is, do you think that that's already been factored into the price that, that the market is paying for Netflix right now? It, yes, to a degree. And this would, this would certainly be a person that would have looked better two years ago, say, or three years ago. Uh, I agree. Um, but let me, let me, let me articulate course. further. So one, you have the transformational business model. Two, the Netflix's value is the number one thing holding Netflix back in my estimation. I mean, Netflix, I don't think people appreciate what a uh, – I, I view Netflix as a – and as a lot of people push back on me on this. So this is certainly something where you can disagree with me with. Mm. A lot of people – or I view Netflix as a really one of the killer examples of aggregation theory. And the reason why is you can take the ones like Google or Facebook, and those are obvious, right? They they were they were kind of like Google took over like all the views of like web pages on the internet because it was a superior experience, and mm-hmm. Facebook took over like reading of news and stuff like that. But they they were who did they aggregate? They aggregated all these weaklings, right? Like there there was no no way like the newspaper industry was already devastated by the internet, and then Facebook and Google came in and just cleaned up the mess. Mm. And so, like, yes, they are aggregators, and they're that's why they're the most powerful and the most the most valuable of them. But to some extent, it was like a you know it it was it was an easy job. I mean, not to say what they did was easy, but like once they were established, to wipe out to to commoditize their suppliers, to modernize their suppliers was was a relatively easy thing to do. The situation is very different when it comes to premium video. Like mm. content is valuable, and and there's a reason why Hollywood has traditionally fleeced the tech industry every time they try to get involved for years. Like it, it's valuable that stars know their worth. They they price themselves up if season two is successful. All these sorts of things. Like it's it's a valuable industry that has these super stable cash streams. Like for, particularly from like cable and the cable bundle and stuff like that. Yes, they're creaky, but for, they've been very stable for a long time. It's a 
much stronger set of suppliers than the ones that sort of Google and, and Facebook were taking over. Yep. Despite that fact, Netflix is slowly but surely kind of warping the industry to an extent where they're kind of petrified of it, but they're petrified of Netflix in the we can't stop selling to these guys even though we're killing us sort of way. Like to me, it's deeply impressive the fact that like Netflix has gotten this sort of monopsony type power in the industry where you have companies selling to them even though they know Netflix in the long run is killing their business model because they can't afford the short-term cost of not selling to them. And and we've talked about Netflix laddering up, starting up from DVDs, moving mm-hmm. up to streaming, moving up to making their own content. And they're actually laddering up within their own content. Originally, they were just licensing content. Uh-huh. And now they're actually producing the content from day one, which is much more expensive, but they get all the payoff from that long tail. All, and they get to the full worldwide distribution. They get all the rights and all things that, get, that go with it. And they're at this point where they're competing. Now they're competing directly with their suppliers, which most of the time is a bad idea. But right now they can do it because their suppliers have no choice but to also sell to Netflix. I mean, there is not a single thing in what you've just said. I, you, people might push back on you. It's not going to come from me. Like I agree with every word you just said. I think what they've done is remarkable. And the way that they've managed to continue to keep going up the value chain until they've landed kind of at the pinnacle where you're creating your own killer content and what that enables. Like, it, I, I, it, it's it's easy sitting in the States to, to, to be um, unaware of how annoying all the licensing of content is internationally. And it's gotten better more recently because of piracy. It kind of forced studios to get better about it. But it used to be that movies would come out in the States and you would wait six months for them to come out in other countries. And when when that happens, you begin to wonder with the power of the internet, like, why aren't they just flicking a switch and making it happen all at once? And that is because Sony in the United States is licensing it to Sony in Australia and they have to do all their little deals and it takes time. What Netflix have done is basically created the first truly international content creation and delivery company where they flick the switch and on day, day one, it's available everywhere in the world if they've created the show because they don't have all those licensing issues it's like incredibly impressive and i think uh, reed hastings is just I, I have a lot of respect for the guy and the way he thinks about business yeah for sure so here's the, here's the thing though so i actually do think netflix is i mean if you look at netflix for, if you actually look at their financials like mm. they're way they're, they have like a p ratio of like 350 or something mm-hmm. like that right and they have negative cash flow like mm. it, it's a it's not a company you do as like a value investor because it's like a sound business or whatever. <laughs> but that said, I would I think they are potentially still undervalued. And they're still undervalued for two reasons. One, like the implication of if I'm right about them being an aggregator that is that is slowly but surely just completely modularizing and commoditizing their suppliers. And they're competing like their competitors are HBO, which is bad at managing the customer relationships mm-hmm. and doesn't scale very well. Uh, it's Amazon, which is by far their biggest competitor, which we mm-hmm. get to in a moment. But then it's all the linear TV guys. Like I think the long-term potential, the possibility, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I absolutely think there is the possibility of Netflix basically owning TV. Like that's that's the long like it just it's a model that makes sense. You go to Netflix and everything you would potentially want to watch is there. And 
if that is the case, like they are worth much more than they are than they are right now. And, and they're not just owning TV in the U.S. They're owning TV, you know, internationally. Internationally is going to be a much more mm. difficult road to hoe. But I do think at least the potential is there. Now, why is that not pricing the stock? One, I don't think I'm not sure how many people fully are, are that bullish. Again, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I but are fully appreciative of that massive potential. There's some that are, but but not everyone. But two, uh, Netflix is still in a risky position. Like I said, they they have negative cash flows. They're they're occasionally profitable, often not, and they have and they regularly have to take on debt. To because they're paying for like they with Stranger Things was a big shift for them because they've been doing original content for four years, but like I said, they've been licensing it Mm -hmm. where they pay for the content on delivery. With Stranger Things, they produced it from day one, which means they had to do significantly more outlays far before they they reaped any sort of benefit from from that show. And if that is what they're going to do going forward, like they're their working capital needs, their cash needs are going to increase significantly, and they have. And that's uh, introducing a significant amount of risk into the company. And by definition, risk is going to decrease the valuation of the company because if you calculate the expected value, you have to calculate the chance of the whole thing blowing up, and that's going to be uh, th- that's going to be depress depress the price. Yeah, I mean that makes total sense. I look. I think you can see the beginnings of some of what you've described actually happening. And you you just have to spend some time around college-age kids or kids that have just graduated. And it's it's to the point now where they, they're in college and like their sphere of things to watch, with perhaps the exception of occasionally going to the movies, or if something mega big breaks through like Game of Thrones and they'll find some way of going and doing it, that their selection of what it is they're going to watch is basically determined by what's available on Netflix. Now, I think your point about pointing out Amazon as a key competitor is a very good one because a lot of these, a lot of those same students are getting Amazon Prime subscriptions for practically nothing. Amazon just gives them away to students practically, and they get Prime Video as part of that. But you can start to see the shift in mindset. And what happens there? I mean, it, it's not to say that they won't go and buy a cable bundle or do other things, but what starts to happen, it's the same thing that we've seen with car ownership, like decrease. They they stop buying cars. They start It's a generational thing. It is. It totally is. And yep. you can start to see that shift happen. Um, the other thing I would I would say about what you just described and the risk is it's it's quite easy to, and I mean, there's obviously sensitivity, but I suspect it's relatively easy for them now, given their experience, to model out um, the inflows and outflows that are associated with all these um, building new shows and the growth of subscribers, like I imagine subscribers don't drop off tremendously. Like the growth rate might adjust a little bit, but how much it is to license a show, how much it is to create a show, they're things that can be modeled relatively well. So assuming that it nothing, there are no wild fluctuations and it's well managed, I expect them to be able to keep doing this without too much risk of the entire thing blowing up. Well, this is why Netflix's stock is such a roller coaster because the they are investing significant amounts of money mm. well ahead of anticipated subscriber yeah. growth. So every time subscriber growth beats, their stock skyrockets, and every time their, their subscriber growth fails to beat, or they have unexpected churn like they did from this ungrandfathering news or mm-hmm. whatever, like then it, it, it plummets. Because it's not just that 
subscribers are valuable in of them in of themselves. And the earlier you get a subscriber, the better it is because you know that 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 lifetime value mm. is coming to you much sooner. But also like. They are like they're investing ahead of time, and and if the worst thing you could do would be invest ahead of time and then not be able to pay for it on the back end because the the subscribers never show up. And I I think it is a little riskier than you say though because a lot of their growth now needs to come internationally, and mm. that's just a market that's much harder to forecast and much harder for Netflix to to understand, especially as they get more and more saturation in the U.S. Like to be able to grow internationally, it's it's. I think it's getting riskier, and you see that like they're raising all this money in debt. They have they have like a B plus debt rating, like which is basically you know it, it's it's forced. Not great. It's not great. Like they're paying a lot for it. So but, four notches into junk territory, basically. Yeah, is, I, I, but th- that that point it, that point actually brings us to one of the strongest arguments I think you made about why there is. Um, one plus one equals three to use that horrible business school term in terms of an acquisition for Apple and Netflix, um, this international distribution. Because if there's one thing that Apple knows how to do, it's distribute stuff internationally. Right. Well, I mean, what, what, let's start with the obvious one. Like cash would help Tesla and cash would help Netflix. Sure. But to so that that's that's a real that's the biggest benefit for Netflix of of going with Apple is is not having to go into the debt markets and be basically being able and not just that being able to accelerate like being to accelerate this process of of creating original content and drawing consumers and investing even more upfront to drive purchase on the road and particularly in international is a huge part of this like being able to invest not just in Hollywood but, but invest in in India for example or invest in in various European countries in in foreign language things like that their investment needs are going to become riskier and and more in front, but also the payoff is is you know huge on, on the back end. And being able to do that with cash as opposed to doing that with with debt would, I think, significantly both solidify their business and also accelerate the potential long term you know the, the long term value. Uh, granted, but let's get out of Apple just being like a dumb being, writer. No, for sure, for sure. Pockets. No, so 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 advantage number two, Netflix. You're right, is the distribution where the iPhone sells the vast majority outside the U.S. Mm. and coming. I mean, it sounds trite, but but being delivered with a Netflix app on the home screen would 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 be a big deal. Or you could have buy bundles, where you could buy an iPhone with a Netflix subscription. Or like, there's all kinds of things that could be done. That yes, you. I mean, you could potentially do this in a partnership. It's not clear why Apple would do that, but. The, the as far as securing international growth, I think could be very meaningful. Tether it to an Apple ID, so like the credit card details are probably already there. So literally buying a subscription with the app on the screen is is no more difficult than pressing a buy button and bang, you're watching television. Like uh, the amount of friction that would be reduced, and like that sounds that sounds like a small thing, but the impact that reducing friction like that has on people's purchasing decisions is actually pretty meaningful. Right. And you, I mean, you can pay for Netflix with, with your Apple, um, with the app store and, you know, obviously Apple keeps their share. And so they're benefiting from, from those purchases as well. But this idea of like it being built in and, and the, awareness that comes from it being there as opposed to having to get people to download it and be aware of it and and particularly if you bundle it with a trial right like there's 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 just lots of things you can do again if you're if you're on the same team 
Is just just a pause. Is that actually correct? Like, a Netflix will actually give Apple thirty percent of their. So that sounds crazy to me. Yes, Netflix. So Netflix has always been on board with giving Apple thirty percent. Although wow. Apple just changed the rules last year to reduce that to to fifteen percent once you have a subscriber for more than a year, which is bit which is a big benefit to Netflix for sure. Yeah, the, I mean, this is an advantage of Netflix having their own content. They can take the margin hit in a way that say. Um, Spotify, for example, Cannot. can't right yeah. because they're they're licensing all their content. It's not original content, so they have to actually charge. So when you do a Spotify subscription through the App Store, it's more expensive than doing it on the web because they have they have to pay for that thirty percent hit, mm. whereas Netflix just swallows it. Mm. I did not know that. The, the, there's there's an extra benefit here though um, from Apple's perspective, and this is this is. Probably the uh, it's more it's more controversial in some respects, uh, at least from my perspective. But to me, is is the more compelling thing from from Apple's perspective about about doing about about making <laughs> that, 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 that. Uh-huh. So so those are two advantages for Netflix, and I and I think they're I think they're meaningful. I'm not sure how meaningful they are, and the reason why I think this wouldn't happen is not not only that Apple may not probably wouldn't do it but i'm not sure netflix would would say yes i mean they're they're building what they have pretty darn well on their own again amazon is a, is a big threat and the reason they're a threat is because you just said they they amazon is coming at netflix with their own orthogonal business model where the payoff they get from creating content isn't a subscription that's tied to content it's this bundle mm-hmm. of amazon services that are that are very compelling in their own right and and Amazon has much deeper pockets than than Netflix does. So Netflix is that's why there's such a threat to Netflix. I, I think that was also a very helpful um, count. Like that was a very help, uh, almost like a straw man to paint as a vision for why Apple and Netflix might make sense because what Amazon are doing with uh, um, uh, with Prime Video and how. Uh, they see much higher stickiness in terms of customers staying as prime customers once they start using prime video and that being a basis in and of itself in order to create that original content to keep people in the ecosystem. I mean, that that isn't a perfect argument, like analogous argument for why Apple might want to do the same thing, but you can kind of see a little bit of a parallel there, right? Well, it's a reason for Netflix to do something, frankly, uh-huh. because like they... they it's a reason to want the backing of a big company because you, you it's always problematic when your competitor it's it's problematic one if your competitor has an orthogonal business model mm-hmm. where the, the benefit they realize is different than the benefit you realize it's like google going in with like free android because they're they're their business model is just different, right? And it's devastating if you're in like a direct business model. If you're if your competitor is monetizing indirectly and can undercut you, like that's a very difficult place to be one. But two, Amazon is a bigger company with deeper pockets. And so you combine those two things and it makes them a very significant threat. It was interesting because when you raised that at first in the article, I actually thought the place you were going to go 
Uh, which was surprising because, you know, like, we've talked a lot about the differences between horizontal and vertical uh, businesses and how, like, what you're aiming to do is quite different. But what I thought you were about to suggest was that Apple replicate what Amazon have done using Netflix, where you take all the Netflix content that's being created or some portion of it, and you only make it available to people on Apple devices or this Netflix service only available to people on Apple devices. Now, obviously... Nope. Yeah, no, I, I realized that. But that's where I thought you might be going, which would well, have been... Let me explain, so let me explain why not. So mm. we've had to talk about the Netflix perspective. So the Apple perspective is, is mm. what I was more focused on. Apple should not buy Netflix and make it only available on Apple devices. One, first and foremost, it would be... It, it, you would be better off getting a giant pile of money and lighting it on fire. <laughs> because not only are you dealing with the, the whole... Of having to make up the the surplus you're paying, the premium you're paying over the market price, but the market price itself is predicated on Netflix being available on all devices to all people. Mm. So you're not just paying a premium; you're destroying value to to take a horizontal service and make it mm -hmm. exclusive to your vertical business model. Right. Uh, the, the, so financially, the it's a, it's an incredibly stupid idea. The the content company that you'd ideally want to pick up to do something like this would actually be HBO rather than um, Netflix. Well, same thing, because HBO is is also, their value is predicated on being available to everyone on all devices. Like buying, buying doing content generally, but buying a, any sort of content company on the market that is by definition a horizontal company for a vertical company to buy that and make it exclusive to their devices is by definition going to be massively value destructive and and would and would be a, would be a bad idea and the other problem and this gets at the core of why I, why I propose this the other problem is how much benefit is that actually going to be to apple like how many people that wouldn't buy a phone or an iPhone, I should specify, would now buy an iPhone because Netflix was exclusive to it. Like the the fact of the matter is the the iPhone is so dominant in the high end premium side of the market. Like the majority of people who aren't buying an iPhone either one don't want to pay for it, don't care. Uh, two, uh, they they absolutely prefer Android. And the number of those folks whose minds would be changed because now Netflix is only available on iOS device, I, I don't think would even come close to justifying the value destruction that would be inherent in, in making it exclusive. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So they should make this. So, but then you get to the second point, And the point I was driving at was like, why would Apple, a vertical company, buy a horizontal company with a very different business model? Well, I just noted that most of the people who would buy iPhones have already bought iPhones. Uh, they're on the vast majority of carriers now. They're in the vast majority of countries. And a lot of their growth, kind of the big question if you're measuring iPhone growth, is how often do people upgrade, right? There, there's, there's very little sort of greenfield for the iPhone to grow. And you can quibble on the details, or oh, they're going to slightly grow this year, or they're going to slightly contract. But from a big picture, the days of like big growth – and just you know, record quarter after record quarter, they're gone, and that's not Apple's fault. Like it, it, it's it's the natural endpoint of creating the best product in the history of business. Mm -hmm. Like they've, they, it's it's so good that they basically reaped all the rewards in less than ten years. I I um I'm w absolutely with you so far. <laughs> so so they their core product. Is is and so I wrote about this last year, and this is kind of the key piece leading up to this in the article. Everything as a service, 
this idea that I don't think Apple or anyone is ever going to create a product like the iPhone again, where you're all the things about the iPhone that made it great, the, the, the services that you can access on it and all the things you can do with it, but it's still being a personal device that's very expensive, that's subsidized, <laughs> that you buy and put in your pocket. It had the old business model of buying products that was, but the product itself was made fantastic by future business models. But the next step is the, is the end of sort of the old business model. And I don't see... Apple's doing great stuff. I think the AirPods are interesting, despite the delay, right? And and we've talked about they're moving into this new world of different things. But AirPods and Apple Watches aren't going to make up for the iPhone. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, and I know people hate to hear this, but it's absolutely like it isn't a reality. Is when it comes to a company, and when it comes to the stock market, and when it comes to your employees, a company that's not growing is you, you don't get to stay in in a steady state. And again, Apple's doing fine right now. This is looking out just a couple years in the future. Like Apple needs at least a growth story, a a, a, a vision of the future that is more than we're going to figure out how to sell slightly more iPhones, and they need it because. I I fear that we talked about this. The Apple Watch. I fear the company is making decisions that I, the reason I said they shouldn't acquire stuff before is because mm-hmm. they're so they need to stay focused on doing the best possible thing and making mm-hmm. the best possible products and mm-hmm. optimizing their decision making around around superior products. Right. And I'm worried and increasingly concerned, and this has been a growing concern for for a while now. This isn't a new thing that Apple's decision making. Is losing its purity, for for, to, for lack of a better way of putting it, mm. where these financial considerations and what's going to move the stock and how can we shave off pennies here? How let's take out an extension cord here? Let's take off an an earpod case here? Like let's make a MacBook Air that's the same shape as a MacBook Pro because then we have to make one shape once and it's going to be confusing customers. But that's okay. Let's sell a bunch of old computers. And even though they're old specs and kind of embarrassing to use, but we want to fill every price point. Like there's all these decisions that are made around optimization and benefiting the bottom line that I'm not sure are decisions that you would make if your number one priority was making the absolute best products. I, you know what? I think this harks back to a, like the conversations we had really early on in the podcast. And we started to, I think when the watch came out, we really started to touch on this. And I, I would tend to agree with you on this. I, in fact, I would do more than tend to agree. I think you're right. I think that, I think this is, this is in, I, and I hate to pull the Steve Jobs card, but I think this is starting to see the difference between having a product-led visionary and someone who rose up on the operations side of the business in control of a company like this, like the, the, the nature of the decisions and how the organization is thinking about um, is thinking about these big decisions about its products and about its future is slowly starting to drift from what it was. See, I'm going to push on that a little bit though, because okay. it's easy, I think, to blame Tim Cook, and and it's easy to blame someone like Steve Ballmer, and it's and there was an article that was passed around, you know, like a week ago, but that was actually one of the more compelling, like Tim Cook's like Steve Ballmer. I'm not sure I completely agree, but it was it wasn't like flame bait. Hmm. I didn't see it, but the reason I'm going to push back is. 
there's there tends to be sort of this great man theory. Uh, in, yeah, unfortunately, I, usually men when it comes to companies generally and business generally, and part- mm-hmm. particularly in tech. And the reality is, is that make no mistake, like Steve Jobs was an incredible visionary, but the vision. In my estimation, this is more my personal sort of view of the world, and so you, you mm-hmm. may certainly may disagree. The vision is not birthing products from nothing. It's seeing where the trends are going, seeing where the waves are going, and getting there just a split second before everyone else does. And you see what's developing, and you get there, and you get there, and you make the the the, the Mac. And unfortunately, it's a enterprise market, so you don't quite succeed. But you get there, and you make and you make the iPod, and you get there, and you make the iPhone. Like there, the cell, like there was data, like cellular networks were being built out. Three G with three G was coming online. Mm-hmm. Like processors were getting smaller. Like the 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 capability of Processes we're getting, we're getting faster. This touchscreen technology is coming along, and bringing them all together at the right time. The the single greatest trait of the greatest visionaries is their timing. It's getting the iPhone is in retrospect a an obvious product. Now mm-hmm. this isn't to diminish it by any means. Like it was revolutionary and deserves all the praise that it gets. But it's revolutionary not because. There's all these things that went into making it revolutionary. And the the problem, the challenge I see for Apple is not necessarily their leadership. It's not necessarily their lack of vision, although that that matters and we can have a have a debate about that. It's what are the trends that Apple is uniquely placed right now to leverage? I think you, like that articulation of what you just described is spot on. And you describe it as pushback, but I totally agree with everything you just said. I would apply what you just said, though, to the watch. I feel like you're exactly right. You Like the visionary part is is not just imagining it. It's like the timing needs to be delivered so you're there a split second beforehand. But like the watch is the 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 I don't I I don't think it's going to be as big as the iPhone was. I just don't think it can be given the the nature of smartphones today and the nature of all these trends converging such that mobile is such a big deal. I don't think the watch is ready to uh, displace that or be as big as that. But I think it was launched too soon. I think they got the timing wrong, and that's reflective of all these other things that we've been talking about. No, for sure, for sure, and that's very and that and that's very fair. Uh, and so you're right; it's a combination of the two. But you know, if it, if I thought that Apple's long term challenges were just about having the right people in place, mm-hmm. then I would write an article saying that Apple needs to get a new mm-hmm. CEO. Sure, and. and you know, if you want to get clickbait or blame bait, that's that's one mm. that's one way to do it. But again, like it's the where does Apple fit in this future? In, in a way, and as a counter, you look at Netflix. Like Netflix is unique in the way that like the iPod and the iTunes Music Store was uniquely placed. What Apple always forgets is that Apple in these content negotiations always thinks they can pull another iPod. There's no piracy. Like the reason why Apple was able to get the music companies on board was because of, they were terrified of piracy, and Apple was a better alternative. And then Apple got big and acquired monopsony power over over the the suppliers. But they needed that leverage at the beginning. Where's Apple's leverage in the future business models? Like it, hardware is not the the key to leverage going. We've talked about this big picture going forward. Like its services sitting on top of the iPhone, sitting on mm-hmm. top of 
Apple TV, sitting on top of devices, that's where the le- – because where does the leverage come from? The leverage comes from owning the end user. And we've, er- we've already discussed who owns that in video. It's not Apple. It's Netflix. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so – the benefit that I see from acquiring a Netflix, and if Apple were to acquire Netflix, and you notice I'm not going into the Apple's bad services, Netflix great service, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, because actually, and that's the easy argument. I actually would, I'm not making that argument at all, because what I would do is I would acquire Netflix, and I would keep them a completely separate subsidiary, at least for the first several years. Like, don't even, don't even try to mess it up. Try to ignore all the distraction stuff. Don't mm-hmm. get all the integration, all that sort of stuff. Run it completely separately. Be, yes, for, for lack of a better word, be a checkbook for Netflix and help them with distribution. Get them on iPhones. But keep them off to the side and get two benefits. One, I believe, and th- again, this is kind of getting hand-wavy about the stock market and how it works and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but I believe that the benefit to Apple from owning Netflix would be would be very beneficial to their stock would more than make up the 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 amount they would they would have to they would have to pay out for a few reasons one Netflix I think would be worth more if Apple owned it because of for the reasons we talked about earlier but two like again I almost feel uncomfortable making this argument because it sounds so stupid but I think it's real like Apple now has a powerful story growth story for the next 10 years about where they're going and it's and it's a completely new business model that's different than they've done before like generally diversification and and uh, conglomerations are a bad idea for reasons we we can talk about but in this case I think it's one that actually would be beneficial to Apple financially but more more importantly I think it would it would free up Apple to do what they do best like stop trying to nickel and dime people stop trying to like you know Bring blood from a stone when it comes to 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 increasing their margins and, and, and increasing their average selling price. Apple's raising prices all over the place, and they're cutting stuff. Right? Like, I I think it would free them to figure out what is the future of Apple. What's the future of Apple, the product company? Like, is, maybe it is building up watch and AirPods and all these little devices that in the short term aren't going to replace the iPhone, but in the very long term, very well may. Maybe it's their investments in their cloud services and things like that. Like all that's possible, but I, I feel like, again, this is way ahead of time. Like Apple's doing fine right now. We're looking in the next five to 10 years sort of space. I think it would be really healthy for Apple in a counterintuitive, usually acquiring a company is distractive. In this sense, it almost provide cover for the company. I understand what you're saying. Um, I think I was with you all the way up until this point, though, because uh, you're effectively using you're you're effectively talking about using Netflix as a smokescreen for Apple to figure out where they go in the future. I I just wonder why they shouldn't just figure out where they need to go. Like, why? What is it? That, like, it's not like the company's in dire straits. Why do they need to? acquire Netflix in order to do it. And I guess, but it, it brings me back to the broader point, which is I feel like um, I feel like it's a re-articulation of the first point, which is just the, you're a checkbook. Like if there's not a clear articulation of how it is that these two companies are going to be better together than they are apart, I, 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 I'm naturally nervous about this just because I'm naturally nervous about acquisitions in the first place. And wait, 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 but it, we, we just we just you, we just said a bunch of things why they're better together, and you agreed with me. Like I'm not saying this is the only reason, but I think it is a valid a valid reason. 
In, in terms of distribution, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think there is definitely an international distribution benefit that uh, Apple could deliver Netflix. And, and, like, so, and also, I undoubtedly agree that they need the cash and having someone with deep pockets committed to them would be super valuable. But putting that aside, because that could be anyone on the stock market with big pockets, like why should that be Apple? I'm with you on the distribution um, I think that's something, but is is that in and of itself enough to warrant the uh, extreme premium that they would probably have to pay to get it? I'm not sure. And what you've described, like in terms of Apple owning it and providing a growth story, Apple almost already does have something like this, and that's that that fabled hedge fund slash asset management company called Brayburn Capital, which is responsible for investing all of Apple's money and. What, what you're describing is almost putting a story around what Brayburn does in terms of like, okay, we're a growth, we're now a growth company again, because like the investments we're making have this big long-term payoff. It's, uh, if it's if it's not anchored entirely in that distribution argument that that and I agree with you around that I'm just not sure it's enough to warrant it and if it's not enough you're basically taking Brayburn adding a story and hoping the market buys it and that makes me a little nervous. Fair, but if you if you devolve it to a pure sort of financial argument, like you mm-hmm. can absolutely make the case that like Apple for itself is is very undervalued, right? I mean, when you consider the enterprise value, which basically takes out the, you know, adds the cash on, like mm-hmm. the, it's, 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 it's unbelievably cheap, right? The cash is basically valued for, at nothing. Or you could argue Apple's valued, valued based on their cash. There is a pure rational sort of explanation for, like you just made a very rational driven argument. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, and I do think that there is an aspect of, for lack of a better word, and you're going to kill me on this, like around the narrative of a company and the idea of where they're going and what their mm. potential is. And again, the issue isn't Apple figuring out what's next because my concern for Apple is not about Apple itself. Although, we, again, we can have that argument. And you made, I think you made a good point about the watch, and it's very fair. My bigger concern, again, goes back to that everything as a service article. I, I'm not sure in f- five to 10 years, what is Apple's, what is Apple's growth prospects? And frankly, if it were up to me, like if I could cast a magic wand and control the world, I would just assume Apple changed their employee compensation to be much more salary, much less stock and pay a much larger dividend to their investors and just ride their business model to the sunset. But uh, unfortunately that's not how things like th- that's not how things actually work. Right. I, look, I'm not going to kill you on that narrative thing because that narrative thing is very real. The, the the narrative is a core part of the brand and we started talking about Tesla and Lord knows we've been talking about Apple a bunch and that narrative is absolutely essential to the brand of a company. But if the argument that you're making is for Apple's narrative to continue to be successful five, 10 years out, they need to go and purchase a Netflix in order to bolster that. I think the company's in dire straits. And I think that in itself might re- reflect why the stock price is so depressed um, relative to like it's cheap, uh, like looking at the numbers involved, it's relatively cheap. The PE is relatively low when you consider the cash and short-term and long-term investments that they have. Maybe the market's factoring into 
maybe the market's factoring in exactly what you're describing, which is it's had an incredible run and the business model that it represents is actually uh, like it's been fantastic. It represents the peak of the 20th century, but in the 21st century, as everything shifts to a service, this idea of a company that sells you widgets is is actually, uh, it's just, it's going to start to go away. Again, well, it's not that it's going to go away. It's, it's just like, it's going to, it's going to stagnate. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, like, you know, Microsoft in the in the yachts still made tons and tons and tons of money. But the problem is that the 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 market they served was was is sort of stagnant. Like, where mm. where are they going yep. next? And that again, Apple's not going anywhere. They're not doomed. None of this sort of stuff. It, but it's like, where where are they going in the long run? And again, it's not, it's not about Apple. It's about what is the long term future of Apple's business model. Is is I guess is, is sort of a foundational quest for me. And if you think, and if the future is services, and yes, they've done a lot. Like the App Store is a huge driver for them, and it, it surpassed the Mac. Like their services revenue is is the third third biggest driver in the in the company now. It's 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 a big deal, and it's meaningful, and there's more growth to be had there. And Apple is appropriately pursuing that. But what would it mean to? To fully transform into a services into a services arm, I think it's breaking out of that this you know this vertical thing. Like Apple Music sort of is to a degree, and Apple Music is easy to an extent because you can buy your way into the market. You just sign a licensing deal, and suddenly you have all the music. But it's because of that, it's also limited, right? Because you don't own you don't own the content. And the, why does that? Why is that not an aggregation theory type thing? Because there's such there's only three suppliers. Right, and so you can't really modularize and commoditize them the way the way you can, the way you can in, in other industries. And the back catalog matters more, and there's all all the sort of stuff that, mm-hmm. that 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 is important. Netflix is again, I think it's a massive potential. I think Apple could could help it out, and I th- it is in a sort of backwards way. Even if separate from Apple, it's a fit for Apple. Like it's a, this idea of of. Owning premium entertainment, Apple of all the things Apple is good at, one of them is not like social type stuff and like you know mm. like self generated mm-hmm. content and all that sort of thing. I think Apple would feel much more at home in a company that's focused on doing deals. Apple's always been good at doing deals. They're very bad at creating. We talked about this in the context of the of the App Store. Like Apple succeeded despite themselves with the with, with the App Store in many respects. They're not uh-huh. good at fostering sort of. Uh, you know, ecosystems. Ecosystems, right? Whereas Netflix is much more of a like they do deals and they acquire leverage and they use leverage and they use money. Like Apple's very good at that. So from a sort of mindset and business model perspective, even though it's a horizontal versus vertical business model, the way they do business, I think, is a better fit for Apple than a lot of other potential companies would be. No, I, I, I totally, I, I mean that that analysis is spot on, and I hadn't really thought about it like that. I think that's a I think that's a very insightful way of looking at it, but it does remind me a little bit of our conversation about how Apple and Tesla are similar in lots of respects, and that in and of itself is probably For sure. not absolutely. It's not a reason in and of itself right. by any means. By any means, I mean let's be clear. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not convinced. <laughs> I'm not convinced about this, but I don't know. I just. Well, here's what I'd say. It takes. Um, like the bigger you get and whether you're a company or whether you're writing stuff like this, the bigger you get, the harder it becomes to take risks. And 
the fact that you sat up all night um, after you wrote this and thought about it, um, I really appreciate. Well, for the record, I thought about it well before I wrote it as well. Uh, of course, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't mean to imply otherwise. I really appreciate you putting yourself out there. Like if, when you're talking about Goliaths taking each other down, it, it tends to be people making these arguments aren't doing it in a super thoughtful way. They're doing, oh, look, Apple's got these deep pockets. Wouldn't it be fun if two of my favorite brands were the same company? Like, it is very clear that's not what you've done here. You, like, put a lot of thought into it, and you're tortured about it, which I really appreciate because it's not a clear-cut thing. But it's a, it's a really interesting... It's a really interesting hypothesis to dive into, and I've... I've um, it's a, it's a really interesting thought experiment to go through. And I feel like I've learned a lot through the process. So yeah, like, I'm not surprised you're a little bit tortured. Like there isn't a clear cut. It's very rare that when companies get this big, it's clear cut that this should be a go, no go thing. Like it, like the Disney Pixar things come along ever so infrequently. Yeah, but the, that's, the, a, that, the, that's a rare slam dunk. It is. And um, the, the, the arguments you're raising around like everything is a service and understanding the cultures of the company and like where does Apple go from here? Like, and then say, saying, well, this is a potentially interesting way of solving that. And also using that as a straw man to bring some of these things to light. Like, I really appreciated you putting it out there, even if it even if it's not a slam dunk like the Disney Pixar thing, I really appreciate you putting going out on a limb and doing something like this. So, yeah. well, well, well I, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I think the other thing that, that's tricky too is a lot of the assumptions here. So, there's three basic assumptions that I listed out in the daily update. That's probably almost clearer than my main article. But basically, assumption number one: Apple's business model will not provide significant growth opportunities for the next several years. Assumption mm-hmm. two: A growth story is important for Apple. When mm-hmm. it just they're in Silicon Valley, they're, they're competing for engineers. Like, and that matters for the stock. It matters for internal morale. Like, it it sounds dumb, but it matters. And assumption number three, Netflix is an aggregator with significant growth opportunities that could benefit from Apple, both in terms of distribution and in terms of cash. The, like that, Those are the three assumptions. And if you disagree with any one of those, you, you should say that what I'm saying is a bad idea. But what makes it particularly trickier is several of these assumptions are about five to ten years from now. They're not about today, right? How do you know these assumptions? Because right? they're well into the future. And but that's that's why business is hard. Like if yeah. if it if it was obvious, if all these assumptions were for sure true, then of course Apple should buy Netflix. I just laid out why, and that's why it gets into the assumptions. And like that's people will ask me a lot about how do you like how do you think about stuff. And really, a critical thing anytime you make any sort of argument, you have to get into your assumptions. Like mm-hmm. what are the mm-hmm. three tent poles underlying this argument, in which if any of these prove to be wrong, the argument falls apart. And and those are the three for me. And what's tricky is all three of them are open to debate, and yeah. they have to all be right for this to make sense. Anyhow, I've wait, that's why I waited out. I, I might be wrong, but it and this is how it's just like, oh well, if you're wrong, even if it's not right, who cares? You'll never know. Like, no, this is how you measure if I'm if I'm right or wrong. If Netflix turns out to not be as big a deal as I think it will be, or gets or Amazon really takes a huge part of their share, then I'm wrong. If Apple has no problem retaining employees and their stock stays stable and all this sort of stuff, then I'm wrong. Or if their stock continues to grow, then I'm wrong. And if Apple uncovers new business opportunities that provide significant growth opportunities, then I'm wrong. And, and so any of those three, three things happen, and I will come back and I will write that I'm wrong. I'll say on the podcast that I'm wrong. But that's how you measure, even mm-hmm. if Apple doesn't buy them, if, it was, if I was right or wrong. 
So one question on the assumptions is like bringing to light the assumptions is actually helpful for, for, for exploring the argument. One question around the assumptions. I agree with you that the growth story is important. I agree with you that as it presently stands, we'll see how it goes with the watch. Um, but as it presently stands, there are questions around Apple's growth prospects. But if Apple acquires something like Netflix and manages it in a way where it's kept separate, which given vertical, horizontal, and very different cultures, I think is uh, a sensible way of approaching it. If the growth is all being driven through a subsidiary, do you really think that Apple's going to be able to get engineers wanting to like come into the mothership to work? Or aren't all those engineers just going to want to go to the subsidiary that's growing really fast? Here's the deal. I don't... I- if you want to make great products, mm. and when I say stagnate, it's more a from a business perspective, not from a like the growth, the products are stagnating or, or any of that sort. But if you want to make great products, like where else would you want to go other than Apple? Like it, it's a place to go, and it's a tough place to work. Like you work super hard, you work work long hours. Like there's this maniacal drive to make it things as perfect as they could be, which can result in a lot of yelling and like <laughs> all the problems that can go with it. And it's worth it both because of the satisfaction of making great products, but it's also worth it because the stock that you're being granted and the employee stock purchase program that you buy stock at 90% or, or, or of the price or whatever is making you a millionaire along the way. Right. And I think it's a real, the challenge is not that people, Apple doesn't want people, no company wants people who are purely motivated by money. They don't want mercenaries. Mm -hmm. Right. But it sure makes the medicine go down of, and, and enhances the intrinsic motivation that any great company has to have for their employees. Like, oh, there's a ton of people who work at Apple, will work at Apple no matter what, because they love Apple, they care about Apple, they want to make great products. And there's a lot, and, and, but, it it when it when you have you know a million other startups flush with tons of capital and you know given how important iOS apps are to a lot of their strategies you like and Apple's lost a lot of people they've lost all kinds of people over the years there's a tends to be a cycle where they leave Apple and they come back after a few years but it, it again it's not it's not that it should be a deciding factor per se but i'm concerned that it, it it already is a factor in in too many of apple's decisions like it feels like there's there's been a lot of thought more and more over the last few years that's gone into not just like the stock buyback program but also gone into like you know let's raise the price slightly. Let's reduce what's in the box slightly. Let's change this. Let's optimize this. Let's keep selling all these old models. Again, none of these things are bad things in and of themselves. It's this sort of accumulation of decisions that seem financially focused and not best product focused. Mm. And I think for Apple in particular, that's dangerous. It's a dangerous place to be. And, And I would almost rather cauterize the wound and make one sort of Yes, there's benefit to Apple and there's benefits, but like we're we're making this one decision that's gonna we're gonna build a real services business and professionally produce content, and it's gonna be separate and and we're gonna have a cash cow on one side and we're gonna have the growth business on the other and and relieve the cash cow of the need to as I said a, a few times like squeezing blood from a rock. Mm. I I. I... I hear you on all of these things, but I, I I still want to hold your feet to the fire a little bit. Like you're like, aren't they separate things? Like if if all these things in aggregate are 
uh, decisions that are being made that are the wrong decisions that Apple know they're making, but they're doing anyway because they have no choice uh, because of the financial pressures. Like, shouldn't that be dealt with independently from uh, thinking about acquiring something that becomes its future growth engine? And I, I come back to it with Netflix. Like, it's so critical that that like the the argument and the numbers be run and run. Not, not optimistically run, but realistically run about how these two things are going to be better together. Because if you're using one of like, if, 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 if the two entities together aren't creating more than they would do independently, if it comes to attracting engineers or something like that, and there are these financial aspects, if there's, it's just going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul unless there's a creation of surplus with the two entities together. Like no, the creation, I, I, which, which we've detailed. I think there's there's mm. there's the there's the cash, which is a real consideration for Netflix. There's increased distribution for Netflix, and mm. then for Apple, like I think the there will be unlocking of value in the stock. Like I and I I, I my estimate would be that. Apple's market cap post Netflix acquisition would be greater than Apple plus Netflix's market cap. Got it. I I, I agree with all of those things. I it's it's uh it's a uh it's, and th- that last one feels icky, right? Because you're kind of relying on market sentiment and it, it's kind of divorced from the underlying numbers, which you've been very appropriate in driving back at, and which I would, if I was playing you, I would drive at the same thing. But mm. in this particular case and for Apple, I think it is a real thing. And mm. and it pains me, believe me, to rely on it, but that doesn't make it any less real in my estimation. No, no, no. And and I, I agree. Just because it can't be quantified doesn't mean it's not real. I'm I'm with you. It does feel icky, but I, I'm with you. It's a real thing and it's worth paying attention to. I, I I'm nervous about the uh, I I grant you the checkbook argument, but I'm nervous about it in and of itself. And then it becomes for me a question of how much value is unlocked for Netflix through the distribution, and would that warrant uh, Apple trying to 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 swallow uh, a piece of uh, like a, a like swallowing prey this big? It is a it is a big beast to take down Netflix, even with deep pockets. That's a big beast to take down. Oh, the one other thing is, and this kind of relates to the Tesla thing, is uh, why doesn't Apple create original content on their own? And there's rumors that they're actually doing that. I also think that's a terrible idea. And the reason I think it's a terrible idea is, contra Tesla, I think Apple could compete with Tesla if they wanted to, again, because they have the same business model. But Netflix is... Netflix's head start, to my estimation, is much more meaningful than Tesla's head start. Tesla has a technological head start. Netflix has a market-making head start. Mm. They own a customer base that gives them leverage in the market and creates a virtuous cycle where they commoditize their suppliers, which gives them a better product, which gets them more customers, which further commoditize their suppliers. And that is, I think, a much more meaningful and defensible moat than, than, than car technology. And and so I think you are buying something much more meaningful when you're buying Netflix than than you are than you are buying Tesla. And the other thing is I, I think Apple creating content is an awful idea for all the reasons why why we're against acquisitions. It's a distraction. It's not what they do well. It's a different business model. Like to me, that's the that's like what's your phrase? Uh 
two one foot either side of a barbed wire fence. <laughs> right, like that might make great content. Watching people sit down on a, on a barbed wire fence, but it's a terrible place that I think to be a business. Like Apple should either be a pure platform, and Netflix and HBO and everyone sits on top of them, or they should jump all the way in. And yes, will that make them harder to get deals with other suppliers of video? It will. But again, if you believe in Netflix's long term potential, that's that's less meaningful because you think they're going to be the biggest the biggest player anyway. I'm just thinking about starting up a YouTube channel called One Foot Either Side of a Barbed Wire Fence <laughs> and just having people submitting content. I think that would be pretty hilarious. Oh, we are we are massively over. I'm <laughs> I, and I'm going to try to cut some stuff here, but um but yeah, in again, I I I don't mind I, I never mind if anyone disagrees with me, but I particularly don't mind in this case because but because it's out there. Yeah. But it, that's good. Again, I, I I think if all you did was be out there, people would get frustrated. But like this came from a sensible place. It was well reasoned, and it was it was tortured, and like all those things combined. I, again, I, like I said, I really I really appreciated the way you approached it and where it came from. I and I think it's good to like go through these exercises. I think it's super valuable. And just I think a a problem that so many observers of Apple I think get wrong is they ascribe too much credit this, this sort of this sort of great man theory they ascribe too much credit to apple and not enough appreciation to the context in which apple succeeded mm. now again this is all this is i'm not denigrating apple in the slightest they're the ones that took advantage in a way that no one else did like just just to be super clear but it's like there's always there's this big thing oh apple's never apple disrupts itself like and that's so impressive but we like we've debated about this a few times, right? The iPhone didn't disrupt the iPod. The iPhone was more expensive and had a better profit margin than the iPod. Like it had a better business model. Like it, it wasn't a it wasn't a situation where I need to sell a product with worse margins and mm-hmm. a worse business model and hope to make it up in volume in the long run before my investors crucify me. Right? Like Apple has has gone from strength to strength from a business model perspective. And Again, all the credit to Apple, but the company has never really faced, I think, a business model challenge in the way I foresee them facing it in, again, five to 10 years. And five to 10 years is very hard to see and hard to look out on. But if if that's real, the decisions to address it need to be made now, not in five to 10 years. I agree. All right. Uh, I'm gonna just keep talking if we don't if we don't if we don't end. Well, this, so. Do we need to thank we need to thank Mailchimp? We do, and uh, just as Netflix authorized personalized recommendations, uh, Mailchimp can do the same for your business. Is that, is that a good segue? Uh, I, I I just want to tease you about how you're making personalized purchase recommendations for Apple again. I thought that was a killer <laughs> segue at the start. Anyhow, our thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring Exponent as they do every week. It's great. I use them personally. I can. I, I think it's a great, great product. And my thanks to you for uh, for tolerating my deviation in behavior. Oh no, not at all. I, I like. I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I thoroughly enjoy you being a good sport and letting me um letting me attack an argument that was tortured. Like the way you put it together was tortured in the first place, and you're incredibly good sport about it. So I really enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate it as well. Uh, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. See ya. Bye-bye.